0: Good evening folks please uh please take a seat um take up your bibles there should be one underneath your underneath your chair i think someone shout out the page number or one i've just lost it one two one eight is that right brilliant one two one eight you, you'll need that to uh, sort of follow along with what i'm saying it, thank you lucy um for reading if i were to cheekily correct <laughs> thank you for reading that as lucy read that passage a moment ago i wonder i wonder what you thought this this is a controversial passage, isn't it? I wonder I wonder what you thought. I imagine some of us would have thought this is a really embarrassing passage. Really embarrassing passage. We've got words we've got phrases here like wives submit to your husbands and things like women are the weaker vessel. And maybe this is your first time here at St. John's, and you've come here for the first time, and lo and behold, this, this sort of confirms everything you've always thought about Christianity. It's, maybe, it's sexist, it's chauvinist, it's out of date, it's embarrassing. Maybe you think this is an embarrassing bit of the Bible. Others of you, you might think this is just irrelevant. This is all about wives and, and husbands, and it might be you're not married, uh, maybe you don't want to be married. And you are see thinking the next 20 minutes or so are going to be a bit of a waste of time. Maybe we're thinking it's irrelevant. Or maybe we're thinking this whole area of, of marriage and relationships is just too raw for me at the moment. It's too painful for me at the moment. And I really don't want to hear this sermon. Um, I'm aware there'll be folk in that sort of category. You know, the, the, the relationship you're in, the relationship you were in, this, this might be hard. This might be a bit raw. Or maybe you thought, having heard uh, this passage read, man, Andy's been thrown a bit of a hospital pass with this one. Um, thanks, Jonathan. That, that, that's what I'm thinking. Um, well, for whatever reason we're here tonight, whether we think this passage is embarrassing or, or, or irrelevant or painful, I guess it would be useful right at the very start um, to remember that this passage doesn't just represent first century views. Th- this passage was commissioned by none other than the lord jesus christ and um, the apostle peter was chosen by jesus which means wherever we are whoever we are uh, this text is good for us it is useful for us it is for us and um which means i'm, I'm not going to apologize for what it says um I, i'm going to try and preach it as 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 it is um but i think later on we might have a question time where sermons on this sort of issue they throw up more questions often than they than they solve um so it might be as i'm going along um drop down things which i've left unclear threads which i haven't picked up on and maybe a bit later um we can have a question time if, if that will if that'll be useful for you um i think pizza hut we're having pizza hut later so there's an extra incentive to um to stick around so you can look forward to that Shall I leave us in prayer And we'll start properly. Sorry for that extended introduction, but I thought it would be useful by way of introduction. Let's let's pray. Uh, Father, thank you so much that you do speak. And thank you, Lord, that this passage, though uh, it is very much out of line with what our current culture says, thank you that it is your word for us this evening. Help me, Father, to teach it straight, teach it clearly, and teach it faithfully. I pray, Father, each of, us would, each of us here would have receptive hearts. Uh, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You might find it helpful to sort of follow along on this yellow sheet. It's just it'll sort of, you'll be able to follow along my, my thought process. Now I think in order to get this passage, we're going to have to do a bit of work to get into the mindset of someone uh, who would have read this letter the first time it was being sent to them. We're going to have to journey back to 60 A.D., Now, to to, to journey back to 60 AD, you might want to imagine yourself wearing a toga. Maybe that'll help. Something like that. And and imagine you're a Christian uh, living at one of these places where Peter is writing. Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia. Let's say we're Bithynians. Bithynians? Agreed. Let's go with Bithynia. We're Christians living in Bithynia. Let me set the scene. Nero, Emperor Nero is sitting as emperor of the Roman Empire. And as it currently stands, Christianity, that is to follow Jesus, is illegal. And so uh, our brothers and sisters in Christ at the Colosseum in Rome would have been fed to the lions as this was being, ri- as this was being written. Which means, as Christians, we would have been living in fear. Uh, some of us here would have been slaves in our, in our gathering here in Bithynia in 60 AD. Some of us would have been slaves Legally, you have no freedom. But you've heard, because you're a Christian, that by believing in Christ, you have all the freedom in the world. You've been set free from sin. You've been set free to follow the true master. But your earthly master's got wind of all this, and he's not happy. And in fact, he beats you um, because you follow Christ. And some of, you, uh, some of you ladies, you've recently come to see That the Lord Jesus Christ is your saviour. And you've put your trust in him. And it's wonderful. But the problem is your husband, whom you married before you heard about Jesus, he's not quite so happy. Um, You're an embarrassment to him because you you won't go along to the pagan sacrifices which all wives are expected to go along with their husbands to. You're an embarrassment to him. You're an embarrassment to his friends. And you fear. You fear that he might divorce you, as was within his Roman rites. And leave you completely destitute. This is our church in Bithynia in 60 AD. And what should we do? Should we revolt against Rome? Should we uh, rise up against our slave masters? Should we just convert back to our husband's religion? Well, let's see what the Apostle Peter says. Why don't you turn back with me to chapter 2 and verse 12. Chapter 2, verse 12. That's page 1218 in your Bibles. Chapter 2, verse 12. Let's see what the Apostle says to this church in Bithynia. He says, verse 12, Live such good lives among the pagans, among the non-believers, that though they accuse you of doing, doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every authority instituted among men. And he goes on. Peter encourages these Christians Not to revolt against these figures of authority, the state, the slave masters, the non-Christian husbands. No, he says persuade them. Persuade them by the truth of the gospel. Win them round by your good deeds. And as we heard last week, that's going to look like submitting to the emperor, submitting to our slave masters, all for the Lord's sake. And where that's an extended context, but we kind of need to know that before we jump into our passage Chapter 3, verse 1, where he now turns to talk about our non-Christian husbands, for those of us for whom that's relevant. Chapter 3, verse 1, follow with me. Wives, in the same way, be submissive to your husbands, so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may, may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives when they see the purity and reverence of your lives. And for first century listeners, what Peter's just written is radical. It is radical. In fact, it's almost scandalous. You see, in that culture, the culture to whom Peter was writing, uh, uh, women were considered to be morally and intellectually inferior to men, um, which meant that only the husband could decide the family religion, and that meant the women and the children would just have to follow along or lump it. But notice Peter doesn't say, put up with the status quo. He doesn't say that. Peter is advocating that wives should win around their husbands, actively seek to to persuade them of the truth of the gospel. In verse 1, he seems to assume that these husbands have already heard about the word, already heard about Jesus. But for whatever whatever reason, we're not told that they're not uh, believing in him. So what are these wives to do? Well, he says that they're not to constantly berate their husbands uh, about the the state of their souls. That's not the solution. Rather, they're to quietly demonstrate that the gospel works, that it works. And being submissive in a marriage relationship is part of that strategy of persuasion Submission, it's a dirty word these days. It it doesn't mean that we should sell out our beliefs and our morals. After all, the husband is supposed to see the purity and reverence of their lives in verse 2. And submission can't mean that you're never, ever, ever going to speak about Jesus. I mean, clearly the point is that the husband gets to such a point where he wants to hear about Jesus. This submission looks like the humble attitude of love and service. I was speaking to a friend uh, with, with a friend recently who became a believer, I think, I think a number of years uh, after they got married. Um, but sadly, that their spouse isn't, uh, doesn't yet believe the gospel. It's, it's a painful situation. But, but I was chatting with my friend, and, and, and they said that even though the, their spouse doesn't believe, they do recognize that their marriage is better because they follow Jesus, because he follows Jesus. They recognize that because they follow Jesus, that their marriage is far better for it, far healthier, far happier. And I think that's the kind of idea here, at wordlessly winning over these husbands who don't believe the word. That's the point. But he goes on. Follow with me in verse 3. Verse 3. Your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as braided hair and the wearing of gold jewelry and fine clothes. Instead, it should be that of your inner self. The unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. Now, Peter hasn't changed topic here. You you read some books, and some people like to twist what Peter's saying here to make him sound he's really anti-fashion. You know, like he's saying, "Women, you know, take off your makeup and wear potato sacks." He's not. He's not saying that. This isn't. This isn't what he's saying. Again, perhaps it might be helpful to think, what would it meant for these women in the church? It, it might have been that some of them thought the only way of keeping hold of, of their non-Christian husband was if they remained physically desirable. And the only hope of not being left divorced and, and, and destitute is if they stay pretty. So maybe they would have um, you know, pulled up to the newsagents and bought the ancient equipment of Grazia magazine, and, and thought, wow, what's the, what's the best new hairdo? What are the finest new clothes? What's the most sparkling earrings I could wear? Which, you know, work with my eyes. I don't know. Um, they might have done that. It, it would have been easy to, for them to think that all their security and all their value was all tied up with their looks. But the problem here is just like the flowers of the field, which one minute are beautiful and the next minute fade. And beauty doesn't last, does it? And, and then where's their security? Where, where's their value? Where's their worth? All they're left with is, is fear that the husband might leave, leave them for a prettier model. That's, that can't be the solution. Instead, Peter encourages these women to get going on a slightly different beauty regime, to focus on their inner beauty, putting time and effort into transforming the unfading inner self. Because just like the inheritance we heard about back in chapter 1, this, this inner beauty won't perish. It won't spoil it. It's not going to fade. It's a wonderful thing. As you might have noticed that Peter calls this inner beauty of great worth in God's sight. It's the same word used to, to describe Christ's blood back in chapter 1. It's precious. Precious. Because this inner beauty has the power to save. The story is told about the day when the wind and the sun... Um, they saw, it's not a true story, I should probably say, at this point in time. It's, it's probably what we call a fable. Um, it's a story told about how the wind and the sun... They, they, they saw a man walking on a hilltop. And they made a wager with each other, made a bet with, his, with each other, saying, we want to get this guy to take his coat off. And the sun agreed to this bet, which the wind threw out. And the wind went first. And the wind strategy was to go in straight away with heavy gusts of wind, Blow, 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 blow. The wind's pounding this poor chap. The rain was lashing at him, forcibly trying to get his t- take, his coat off. But the more the wind blew, the more the sort of guy kept his coat on. He was freezing, and so the wind, the wind gave up, and then it was the sun's turn to have a crack. And the sun, um, he, he took a more slow approach, a more gentle approach. He, he slowly just turned up the thermostat. Slowly got warmer and warmer and warmer, and after minutes past 15 minutes past half an hour past the guy was getting quite hot and he took his coat off sometimes it's a silly story isn't it but sometimes slow and gentle persuasion wins over force Uh, inner beauty is more persuasive than outer beauty gentle submissiveness is more persuasive than loud argumentation and in verse 5 He gives these ladies some godly examples to follow. Look at verse five. For this is the way the holy women of the past who put their hope in God used to make themselves beautiful. They were submissive to their own husbands like Sarah who obeyed Abraham and called him her master. You are her daughters if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. It's quite interesting what Peter does here. He could have defended this idea of submission within a marriage relationship. He could have defended it in a number of ways. He could have gone on and talked about the Trinity. You know, the Trinity, uh, God as Father, Son, Holy Spirit, how they're all equally God, and yet the Son submits to the Father. He could have talked about that, but he doesn't. And he could have gone back to Genesis chapter 1, and he could have said, hey, look, Adam was made first as the leader, and and then Eve was made second as, as his helper. He could have gone there, but he doesn't. Instead, he goes back to the later chapters in Genesis, which talk about this woman, Sarah, and her husband, Abraham. Now, if you've read through this story in in Genesis, you'll know that Abraham was a pretty terrible husband. He was a dreadful husband. In fact, he was was a believer. He was such a bad husband. The sort of things he did would have made sort of tabloid headlines. He's not a a great chap to model our sort of husbandship on. But we're told that Sarah, Sarah was a beautiful woman. But for decades and decades, the biggest pain in her life was the fact that she couldn't conceive a child. And yet, through all these ups and downs, Abraham remained with her. He didn't reject her. He didn't send her away. Why is that? Well, verse 5, because Sarah put her hope in God to make herself beautiful. No, No doubt Sarah would have suffered at the hands of some of Abraham's more stupid decisions. But she did not, verse 6, give way to fear of rejection because she had a sure and certain hope in God. Sarah's so just just one godly example uh, Peter could have chosen. But did you notice how verse 1 began? Look down at verse 1. Did you, did you notice that? It says, wives, in the same way, be submissive. In the same way, as Jesus who Peter's just been talking about see Christ is the perfect example of humble loving service and submission Christ is the perfect example of patience in the face of suffering of not giving in to fear ladies Christ is the model for you okay let's step out of 60 AD you can take your toga off you can put your jeans back on and, and let's try and work out what sort of sort of implications um, there might be for us here. I, I guess this passage most obviously speaks to those of us who have unbelieving family. That's the most obvious line of application for us, isn't it? I think it's difficult for non-Christian husbands to hear the gospel uh, from their Christian wives. But I think it's also difficult for parents who aren't Christian to hear the gospel from um, their christian uh, their ch- christian children it's, it's hard for someone who's who's changed the nappies of a child to then hear that they need to repent and believe i think that's a difficult relationship to do evangelism in don't you think i think it's also diff- difficult between siblings um you know my older brother he used to beat me up it's gonna be, it's gonna be hard for him to hear the gospel from me i, I think i appreciate that so i think that the big principle here for us is that if our family have already heard and rejected the word well, don't don't tire them out by endlessly jumping on every possible gospel opportunity. In, instead, think, try to wordlessly win them over by good living. But be godly, be wise, be be beautiful. And of course, pray. Um, and I, I found that often the best strategy is, is to is to introduce them to someone who can evan- evangelise them in a, in a more appropriate way. So an, an older man to perhaps share the gospel with, with your parents or. I know, something like that. But often that's a better way of doing it rather than us um, sort of speaking outside of the order of that natural relationship. Is that helpful? Yeah. Okay, there's obvious uh, implications here for married women as well. Now I need to say here, we don't have worked out in this passage a fully formed doctrine of marriage. Uh, All there is to say about marriage from the Bible isn't in this passage. And we're not given here sort of step-by-step guide of what to do in every and every circumstance as a wife. But once again, I guess the, the general principle here is, do you consider your husband, whether he's Christian or not, do you consider him to be your leader, your captain, your master, to use Sarah's phrase? That's probably what, not what you're going to call each other over the breakfast table, morning master. It's not, it's not going to happen, is it? It's just a bit weird. But again, is that your heart's desire? Now, we know the world will mock this 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 pattern, but but done rightly, if you've seen it done rightly, it is a beautiful thing. It is a beautiful thing. And women, if, if, if you do this, you can call yourselves daughters of Sarah. That's a great title, isn't it? The daughter of Sarah. And finally, I think there's some thoughts here for single women. I had to scratch my head about this. Well, what does this passage say uh, for women who aren't married? Well, I guess if you're looking for someone to marry... Marry someone who's going to appreciate your inner beauty. Marry someone who's going to invest in what is imperishable and unfading. Marry someone whom you're going to find it easier to consider your master. What this means is, please, 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 don't be tempted to marry someone who does not follow Jesus. Um, our, Hannah and I our church in, in Dagenham. There's a lovely lady there. And last night we visited the church um i asked how things were and um in, in her marriage her husband's not not a christian and she said to me each day i wake up knowing that my husband is on the broad road leading to destruction and um, and worse than that um my teenage boys are following him and it's, it just breaks her heart it breaks her heart please please save yourself the worry do you not marry someone who is not a believer. I know you might think, oh, it'll solve my problems if they get married. You, you'll add to your woes, believe me. And you can ask any number of ladies for whom that is the case. That might be something which people want to ask questions about later. I know that's, that, that's hard. Maybe you're single here and you're not looking for someone to marry. Maybe that's you. Well, maybe you can be a good friend to those who are and, and call them to account in passages like this, encourage them when it's hard, support them. Maybe that's something you can do. Okay, let's move on to the men. Women, you can relax. Husbands, it's your turn. Um, Incidentally, we've only got one verse here, so it's much shorter. We're, We're nearly done. We're nearly done. Look at verse seven. Follow with me. Verse seven. Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. I think it's pretty sad that peter kind of has to say this but i think any any of the lads here who are married will know this that the natural sinful tendency of our hearts is to take our wives for granted that's a natural inclination of, of my heart um, to be inconsiderate to be disrespectful and to exploit that position of, of leadership that we've been given that that's the natural tendency of my sinful heart So this instruction here, here in verse 7, it's not so much for me to respect uh, my wife, Hannah. I think this translation is quite a bit weak. Rather, we're to honor them, honor them, to to, to lift them up, to value them. That's the idea here. That's my job within the marriage. Now, this phrase, the weaker partner, does that send hackles up, you know, when when it sort of, it just sort of grates, doesn't it? What does Peter mean? By the weaker partner. Now note, note Peter is not speaking to the women here. He's not, he's not patronizing them. Saying oh aren't you cute little weak things. He's not doing that. He's speaking to the men. And he's using this phrase to lay into them. He's saying you are not to abuse or ex- exploit. Your, your stronger position. As the leader in this relationship. You're not to do that. Rather you to honor. And lift up your wife as the weaker partner. That's the idea here. Why must men honour their wives? What's the motive? Well, look again, halfway through verse 7. They are heirs with you of the gracious gift of life. Literally, they are your co-heirs, which is the the, the title of the the sermon today. They're co-heirs. Now, once again, this is scandalous. This This is scandalous for Peter's day. In Roman law, you know what happens when a man dies and he he leaves his inheritance? Do you know what rights a woman has? None. Absolutely zip. The, The wife gets no rights whatsoever. And yet Peter's just written they are co heirs of eternal life in God's economy. They have an equal standing before God. Jonathan was saying this morning, he preached on this passage, that that at the foot of the cross, there is level ground. Nobody's higher up than anyone else, whether by gender or ethnicity or by morality. There is level ground at the cross. And so within this marriage relationship, there is equality, co-heirs, but there is a difference. The husband leads, he seeks to honor, lift up his wife. And the wife joyfully uh, submits to his lead. And once again, husbands have a great example, just like the women do. The husbands have a great example in the person of Jesus Christ. Just just think for a moment from what you know about the Gospels. Maybe maybe you've read some stories about how Jesus relates to women in them. How does he relate to the Samaritan woman? Well, he welcomes her. How does he relate to the woman caught caught in adultery? He protects her. How does he relate to Mary and Martha in his, in their home? Well, he teaches them. How does he relate to his mother? Even when he's dying on the cross, well, he, he provides for her, saying, John, this is your mother. Mary, this is your son. He says, husbands, in the same way as Christ, be considerate. And, and the truth is, guys, if, if we don't do this, we will be held accountable to God. As the leaders on our homes, we are spiritually responsible for our wives. And the warning at the end of verse 7 here is that if we don't take this charge seriously, then we can't expect God to listen to our prayers. Let's kind of draw some of these uh, ideas uh, together for finally some implications. Firstly, let's let's think about how this applies to the single men here tonight. For the single men among us who perhaps want to be married in the future i think this passage is quite a, a helpful corrective to often the way we think about marriage um, often we think it's 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 about well i, I want to have sex or or I, I want to have someone to hang out with often we think very selfishly about marriage what peter says here it's not about you it's not about you in the words of the marriage service in the church of england will you love her comfort her honor her and protect her it is not about you for those of you thinking about wanting to be married one day that's that's a good way to go into it it's not about you and what about the married men in a moment i think our, our pizza hut is going to arrive and we could pull uh, your wives aside and, and and sort of have a brief chat with them and we could ask them about your marriage we, we could ask your wife um would she say that you were considerate would she say that you're considerate? Would she say that you honour her? That you lift her up? And would she say that you take the spiritual lead in your home? Or would she tell a different story? Would she talk about how you overwork and ignore her? Would you talk about how you're lazy? And would she talk about how you don't listen to her? Which of those stories would it be? I, I find that challenging. I've just seen Hannah walk in. so She's probably heard the last bit of this sermon. I'm terrified about what you guys might ask her about me. Um, it's not your job, men. It's not your job to make your wife submit. That's her responsibility. It is your job to honor her, to love her, to protect her in the same way that Christ loved us. When I lead some prayer as Ross collects the pizza. Let's close our eyes. Let's pray. Father, this is hard teaching. But we know that this is the words of life. These are the words of life. Father, wherever we're at, whether we're single, um, whether happily or not, whether we're married, whether happily or not, help us, Father, to submit to your teaching here. Help us to seek to apply this to us. For the women here, pray, Lord, that we would be a church full of beautiful women who have an unfading beauty. And I pray that for the men in this church we would be men who honour, who lift up those around us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, thanks. Thanks, Andy. Well, let's uh, thanks for that message. Very encouraging.